What if I told you that a cat meme could enlighten us on the existential threats our society fears the most? What if I told you that by sending that eggplant emoji followed by three panting smiley faces, you're engaging in modern folklore? Hi, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is the Digital Folklore Podcast. Podcast. When most people think of folklore, they either assume that it just means old stories or they think of the Taylor Swift album. In reality, it is so much more. Folklore encompasses nearly everything, the richness, the complexity, and the weirdness of human expression. The internet allows communities to form, bloom, and flourish in ways that they never have before. And wherever people gather, folklore emerges. From the absurd to the unsettling, we dig into the ways we express ourselves online and the artifacts we leave behind. We consult with folklorists, journalists, academics, and of course, normal folks as well to shed some light on how digital folklore holds up a mirror to our society. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Season one drops January 2023. Here's a peek. The fairy tale flies. The legend walks, knocks at your door. The one can draw freely out of the fullness of poetry. The other has almost the authority of history. Jacob Grimm, Teutonic Mythology, 1844. Welcome. You've got it. <laughs> The internet is a monster. And he creeps through the house. <laughs> oh my God. This creepy chicken suicide enchantress. There have to be more stories. There's not just one ghost. It became something of the internet. Folk horror and hauntology, I think they've actually got a lot in common. Slenderman is the least scary thing about this case. Be sure to subscribe to or follow the Digital Folklore Podcast so you don't miss anything that we have coming up. We'll see you soon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Today we're returning to the universe of the Rubicon Films Sideworld series with their second episode, Terrors of the Sea. Director George Popoff and writer-producer Jonathan Russell began their work under the Rubicon name with two narrative feature films, Hex and The Droving. The Sideworld series grew out of that work, but they shifted to the documentary format to tell these stories. The series investigates otherworldly tales and the people who inhabit them, and speculates on the deeper meaning of mankind's role in dealing with the paranormal. This film explores supernatural occurrences at sea and on shores, where frightening or unnatural things have spilled over onto the land. The feature examines four main themes, ghost ships, which we've covered on the Folklore Podcast before, sea monsters, spectral sailors, and mermaids, another past episode subject. Both well-known and more obscure stories are told, and tales of disaster dominate much of the film. 
Ships run aground, drownings, monstrous attacks and sabotage can, as the film puts it, open up a gateway that allows two worlds to collide. The film beckons you toward that gateway, to peer into the side world. Past guest of the podcast, director George Popoff, recently rejoined film and theatre correspondent Tracy Nicholas to discuss Terrors of the Sea. For thousands of years, since man first sailed the waves, the vast open ocean has been a gateway to the unknown and unexplored regions of the world. Can man and sea ever truly coexist in harmony? And what terrible fates await creatures venturing from both sides into each other's cruel and unforgiving territories? fiction is enshrouded in mist and shadow. Beyond that threshold is a place that can change our perspective on everything we think we know. I call this place the side world. So um, here today with George Popoff, uh, who is the director of the Side World series, and today we're going to be taking a look at the second film in the series, Terrors uh, of the Sea. And uh, so, George, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it, and looking forward to having a chat with you. No, thanks for having me. Absolutely, it's great, great to be uh, great to be back and and to uh, talk to you now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is the the second, um, and you spoke with Mark about the first one, um, but the the series now you've done a lot of fiction before, and so now you know moving into the documentary, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and and how you kind of made that journey to do this new kind of film. Yes, of course. I mean, um, yeah, so um, me and Jonathan, who's the, the writer for uh, most of the stuff we do, and, and uh, we wrote the two narrative films together, and he now writes the, the Star Wars films. We we own a little production company called Rubicon Films, and yeah, we've made um, two feature narrative films called Hex and the Droving. Uh, one came out 2017, the other one came out 2020. Um, and then... We have also multiple other narrative projects that we're still still working on, so that's still a big part of our journey. But uh, we also felt that uh, you know both of those films were uh, you know pretty much into in the in the folk horror genre, right. as you can say, and we're both interested in in all the stories and legends, and and especially when 
the blend of genres of, of not just looking at history in one way or, or horror stories or uh, folklore or fairy tales. Um, what happens in modern day? How does that relate to what happened before? Um, we love to bring all those together. So the idea of having um, a documentary series where we can come at all these angles and, and kind of bring all the, the fans of each one of those subjects together under one one hub seemed, seemed quite exciting for us because that's usually the type of language and examine we had between you know each other so uh, and we had a lot of uh, little stories that we've heard in legends and everything that we were always interested into possibly turning into feature films but we also have our original stuff and if we had to make every single one of those stories we're interested into a feature film there's not a <laughs> there is not enough uh ears in a lifetime to, to to do that so it seemed like and some of them were just not worthy of a 90 minute you know treatment uh so- like a feature film so it seemed quite exciting to us that maybe we can put some of them under a, under a theme and then do a series of documentaries that uh, uh, we can then provide to the fans of, like I said, all these different interests that, that we all have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So each one of the um, episodes kind of focuses on a different area, but it must be really hard, even, you know, with having multiple stories that you can address. How do you sort of narrow down and figure out which stories are going to, you know, be interesting and, and which, you know, do, do they have to work together in a certain way? How, how do you, how do you pick those? You know, that, that, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, um, right at the beginning, there was the first one we were thinking of, uh, okay, we want to make this into, into a series, something longstanding, keep making as, as many as we can. And like, cause we're interested in it. But as soon as we thought of, um, what the first few the subject matter could be in the order of them um we were worried okay are we going to have enough and it took about five minutes to to answer that question and and pose the next one which is though oh no that's not the problem the problem is which ones do you pick right um so you're absolutely right it's um i think with the, with especially the first one because of villain, let's I mean with the examples of haunted forests of Vinland and now with terrors of the sea you know that you're going to have uh, plenty of stories to to look into and with the example with uh, with the forest that was more original to particular locations that's how the film was chaptered you know you right. know you had the uh, Wisman's woods you had Epping Forest you, you had um, uh, Canuck Chase so that gave us the option of just picking out the best stories out of, of out of those forests and only few of those were left on the, on the cutting room floor in a way because there, there was that great centralization around the, the locations themselves uh but we had to cut out some potential forests that we said well if people like this documentary and it was the first sidewalk anything um if we continue well maybe down the line we will make haunted forests of england too or haunted forests of somewhere else where we sure. can then bring all the other forests that we wanted to address. Now with terrors was more complicated in a way because um, we decided to not just restrict it to the specific locations, but kind of open the chapters to the subject matter and kind of like, as you call it, the almost the subgenres of, of, of nautical horror fairy tales and legends and, and paranormal events uh, where we're going to, you know, ghost ships and monsters and everything. And there's so many of those. So which ones do you address? Right. Um, so that was a multi sort of, it was a multi-purpose answer to that one because you had to combine the idea of, yeah, some of them will be to places that we know they're going to have a bit of a local vibe to them. And we're still just playing within, you know, 
we're still starting, so we're playing within our UK kind of uh, um, sandpit almost. Right. Um, and then uh, that helped a little bit. Um, and also, yeah, when you come up with the theme of the film and when you structure it, just some story structure in different ways. So the, the narrative background helps a lot because uh, um, I don't really look at them too much from my point of view as a director as, as the ways that probably a proper documentarian, as I would say, would look at it. Um and I leave a lot of that to, to Jonathan when 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 he writes it. But like my job at the beginning with the stories is just like, can we can we actually have like a, a narrative flow that people will be interested in the same way that they do in a fictional film, uh, rather than uh, being in, in 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 class listening to the information. I want to see like um, at what point are we just kind of introducing everybody to the world? Maybe maybe then you know it takes a darker turn. Maybe you have another story that changes then the the period, a different tone. Which story will allow me to use what colors at what point? Stuff like that that I would usually think that way when we're making a narrative. Yeah, I mean I think that for a documentary, it, it and I've noticed this in in both films. Um, that you really do come from a storyteller perspective. But I think that it's interesting that um, whereas so many documentaries that try to do that just become really over the top melodramatic. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and you don't. There's a really nice balance in there of sort of having those interesting stories that draw you in, but not, you know, having, you know, the it, it, a reenactment bit and then you have the, yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Um, now, you, you did just mention the colors that, that you use, and, and it, that's sort of a nice lead in to talk a little bit about the cinematography. Um, I, and I've noticed in this film, uh, it seemed like a lot of the colors that you use, there's a lot of black and white, um, but a lot of the colors you use were cooler colors. And I was wondering if that was just really a nature of what you were filming or if you're trying to evoke something with that. Um, I mean, I, I think... One of the reasons why we picked Terrors of the Sea to be the second one after after Forests um, was the fact that it will provide a different color palette. Mm. Uh, and I know it sounds like a, a bit simplistic, but I just didn't want to address another green subject matter right away because, like I said, in this first year of what we're doing, our idea was to let's introduce people to what this side world thing can be because they don't know about it yet. When you make one film, it's just... That's the film, Haunted Forest of England is one entity. Then you make two, they'd be like, oh, there's two. When you make three, now it looks like it can be your your horror documentary franchise. So I really really wanted to start with something that gives you a bit more of a palette. Okay. So so of course with forests, you know, there's no point of turning the whole film pink, you know. If, right. if, it, if you're provided with such great um um pat green patterns and everything and and and, and the whole uh, world of 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 what you're photographing. You're, of course, we're extracting the most out of it, and we're helping it in post production. Uh, but we, but it's mainly us playing with, as we as we said it, like in joking, almost our our actors that were a bit wooden, you know, like because I I wanted to see what the the trees are giving us, and then mm -hmm. help it a little bit, you know. Um, for example, Wisman's was we kind of had this slightly turquoisey color to it, so we only helped that without changing it. But it, they did provide a greater palette to the film overall. Um, same thing with terrors. Um, there, there are still, there are still nuances. There are still moments that, uh, you know, the, the color shifts. Um, uh, but I really wanted to have that, that initial, um, feel of, you, you know, where you are and, and it helps you set the, set the atmosphere. 
and when the color does shift and we go for a bit of red because the story got more violent or something, then it's mm-hmm. so much more effective than if you are kind of all over the place, lacking that that centralization of color. Right. I also noticed that um, there it, it was parts of the, the when, when you were filming the water, parts of it seemed off and and like, you know, kind of had you a little bit on edge. And, and I thought, mm-hmm. is that in reverse is, is the water. Oh, like yeah. Water? And that was, you know, it, it was really cool because it, it absolutely gave me that effect of feeling off balance and feeling like something was not, you know, normal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we had um, we had some some shots and some moments. And that's something that Terrace helped us even understand what we can do more with 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 our format and, and how we can push it in a way that you will still feel comfortable to people, people, but at the same time, we're kind of try to break a little bit of boundaries when what the documentary can do and how atmospheric or how poetic and how in, engaging it can get, um, contrary to some other examples. And um, we we yeah we started playing with. I mean, you mentioned black and white as well. Uh, that was something new that we introduced in this one that we didn't have in the previous one, where a shot will start in color, but then will end up in black and white or vice versa, depending on. If that's really good with the works with the story, because I found that narratively we have so many moments when we're coming from what's supposed to be back in the day fiction and, and storytelling to the more modern experiences of what people then they saw. So it it really seemed like an interesting um, idea to cross that that boundary within the same shot, rather than always that be something that you just cut to. Um, and same thing with the water. Yeah, sometimes we'll, if we wanted it more creepy, it will be slowed down and reversed, and um, or, or made more different color as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that because you have a series of different stories, um, having to have those transitions, I, I think that that's really well done because you need you know, like in the transitions that you provide, you know, there's a little bit of time to sort of finish digesting the story that we just heard and then like get ready for the next one. And and so those shots are a really great way to to make, to, to just help the pacing of the film, I felt. Um, no, 100%, absolutely. It, it's, it's even when we're thinking about the subject matter, I got so excited when we we're going to do it. And so, okay, we're deciding that's going to be the second one, uh, aside from other options. And then immediately, I felt like, what am I filming? Water? Like, like it's like, I mean, with trees, it's it's different. I know. I mean, with Hex, that was a film that was set in the forest. That was kind of like my 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 training on the job to like know how to build up atmosphere. So I felt comfortable with that. But but when we got to the sea, I'm I'm thinking we can't just shoot the sea for uh for an hour and twenty minutes, and it's not it's not really gonna gonna work. So. We of course we used a lot more, and that's why you have all the shipwrecks and everything and all the other stuff. But but even when you see the waves, because you kind of have to have that as well, you have to feel that that belonged within that particular chapter, which mm-hmm. made that you couldn't have everything that you like about the sea in the same chapter. Because for example, you know we we um, really bet on using the whole kind of like mist package of our shots on the the first ghost ship section because uh-huh. it felt like that was the image of a ghost ship coming out of the mist and then disappearing into the mist was very important but that mean, means that later on we use that a little bit less same thing with okay. when we're talking about the the, the spectral sailors uh, section which were very kind of like heightened romantic stories very 19th century feeling and it was about people uh, uh wrecking their ships and surviving and or not surviving uh 
it started on a big big storm with uh-huh. with 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 those um with those romantic paintings you know you know yeah. obviously coming into light so that means that we can't use too much storm stuff in the other one so you kind of right. had to pick and choose to make each section feel fresh and new uh-huh. uh, aside from just the same thing over and over again well, and I, I think part of what was interesting ab- about it, about the different sections, you know, as you're saying earlier, you with the forests, it was, you know, we're going to stick to this geographic area because, I mean, you know, ghosts, spirits, creepy things is just, you know, so monstrously big that that you have to pick something. With this, it seems like, you know, again, you know, the oceans, the sea is is huge. So it, it was when you broke it down into the different kinds of terrors um, that that really added a lot of interest for me because first um, you know when when you start describing ghost ships and it's you know is it a apparition of a ship or is it a ship that you know unexplicably yeah. is just the the crew is gone and and it was interesting to see the different kinds of um, you know, like, like it wouldn't have occurred to me. And I, I think of a ghost ship, you know, I'm thinking of an apparition, but it's like, oh yeah, there are these other things out there. No, absolutely. It, it, it seemed like, it seemed like the, 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 the sea, uh, topic, it had so many clear, uh, like I said earlier, kind of almost like sub genres within its folklore that, that it, it, it felt like we should address that within the chapters mm-hmm. rather than say like, well, these are stories from Kent and these are stories from Cornwall. And these are like, instead of doing that, because like obviously with, with forests, it was mainly ghosts and, you know, some cryptid, some interesting stuff that you can, you can, but it was all about what that specific story in, is in that specific forest, where exactly. Right. Um, where with the sea, you really felt like, at least with the first time we do terrors again, we'll probably come back to it again. Um, it seemed like we wanted to start and kind of give a give an opening chapter to to do all of these uh, subgenres and kind of pocket them that way. Well, isn't that a little bit of the difference between land and sea? I mean, you know, people historically are like, we own this land, oh, but yeah. the sea is it's. Well, I hate to make this joke, but it's more fluid, and so you know, you can be near land, but it's you know, it's it's not owned by you know considered to be owned by people in the same way so the stories are more mobile in that you know just because a ship is from england it doesn't mean it's not going to be you know by australia or what have you absolutely and and so um so yeah that's i I think it's it's interesting and i think that you know it's interesting the the kinds of stories that are a little universal that happen in multiple locations um, and I think when you were talking about like the the sea monsters, you know, that, those were coming up. There were a lot of similar kinds of stories about huge sea serpents in, in different spots. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in the future, when we open up the, the, the scale to be um, outside of just uh, the UK, um, hopefully, you know, we get to that point. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's still going to be on some topics. It's still going to be fluid. Like you're going to have some store, uh, some core of the stories because we have we want to go somewhere and and, and shoot. And I think that's what yeah. the, we want to get the local vibe of the place. And I think that's what um, d- distinguishes a lot of our cinematic approach to some other documentaries. That we're not just looking for the image that's going to serve that particular sentence in the script. So you just mm-hmm. see what I'm saying. Right. Uh, for us, that seemed not very exciting and, 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 you know, not really the way we make our other films. 
so it it was about like no let's go to uh, what's going to be really relevant visually tell the story visually mm-hmm. and then the narration is just there so so you don't get bored almost and and so you know the context of what you're seeing um so i think when we let's say if when we go to the states and we do let's say a a terror of the sea american version um the core of the stories will probably originate from you know uh boston or like michigan or wherever you want um uh, or off the coast of florida in terms of what monster what ship what thing it is but of course they will travel like you said because it's a more fluid subject matter but with with a with a definable core of of the the atmosphere and the and um sort of the the folklore of the people yeah and you know i think it's it's interesting too of the the different cultures so you know if you were to come to america it's you know cuz cuz you've gone you know at many different points in time and i think that was part of what was interesting about this um even following particular stories over time um and i want to ask you about that um but but yeah i mean you've got native american mythology and, Absolutely. and you know you've gotten like uh, travelers from all over the place and then you've got you know South America and Central America and North America, and it's all, there's, you know, big differences. And so it's, um, you know, it, it definitely is, again, trying to pick all the stories is <laughs> going to be one of the hardest parts for you, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I did want to ask you, um, there, you did a uh, story about the Goodwin Sands, where there was a ghost shift that comes back every 50 years. Yes. Um, so I, it, it sort of ended with, you know, is it going to come back? You know, when, when will it come back again? But there was an expected date when it was supposed to come back where it didn't. So do you have any theories about why that happened suddenly after multiple recurrences? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, obviously there, there is the, the, the most obvious theory that, you know, all of this has been just coincidences and hearsay and legends and storytelling and some people lied or some people misidentified stuff or very very big coincidences and so on and so forth of course that's option with everything pronoun we talk about it and it's it's like this story might be true the next one might not be you know that's why we don't really focus too much on that and we let people make up their mind but but what I think it's more, more likely, especially in this case, because there's quite a lot of proof of that this has been happening over and over again, right. is and that's something that um, we, we kind of address more as a, as a theory in our upcoming next one that we haven't really announced yet. But uh, but I'll, I'll say this: that um, sometimes when you see events replay again and again, especially when with uh, when it comes to ghosts or specters or some sort of energy that seems to just pr- provide an image from something that happened long ago um it seems like that yeah uh you might have a particular period from when that repetition happens like in the case of of, uh, um, the lady lovey bond appearing again and again but also some other conditions need to be right sometimes is the weather sometimes is kind of the stars need to align and i don't mean that from an astrology point of view which i mean it might be i don't know but 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 um as a metaphor i'm using it but but i i probably think like maybe there was something that just wasn't right with the with the conditions that kind of helps that image or that energy to replay once more you know not everywhere you go when you shout you hear an echo right Mm -hmm. sometimes you just need to have the perfect alignment of of uh, um of what the situation in the environment is 
right. to really right. to really get that replaying to happen. So that's you know, I'm still only two of the, two three of these in. So well, like we're kind of piecing it together. Sometimes you start seeing the dots connect, but uh, I think that's one of my theories. But it could be anything, right? Well, I thought it was interesting. Maybe it was just shy, you know, too many people watching. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. I, th- I did think it was interesting. You sort of hinted at maybe some greater malevolent power with the Lady Lovibond. Um, and, you know, you're, you're right. Maybe it's just the expectation that everybody brings that, you know, in this day and age, maybe when they came back and it was a no-show, it's because a lot of skeptics showed up that time, you know? Yeah. yeah and, it's, and they it's, just it's possible and... Um... Yeah, there, there is. You, you could have the opposite misidentifying as well, where it just like it comes back again, but it's just like, oh, that's clearly like an old ship. That's that's not it, you know. Like yeah, yeah. you can you can have can have anything happen, but um, yeah, who knows? But I'm, I'm that's why I'm always interested to 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 hear like this is it seems kind of sometimes pro- provide just the opening conversation to then people say like actually I do have a pretty good theory or I know more about that story and I'm always excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm a little more curious about why there's so much skepticism around like some of the sea monsters. Um, you know, the you know, they they found some of them. They, you know, like washed up oh, on yeah. shore. And I mean, the, you know, Loch Ness monster is eternally being debated. I mean, I just read right before we got on, I read that there have been five sightings this year. Um, including a film, uh, you know, very short little snippet, but and and still, there people are just like, nah. It's it's it's, it's it's impossible to win it because because the moment when they say like, well, no sea monsters exist, and you're like, well, what about the giant squid that was proven to exist? You know, that was that was a fairy tale analysis, but that's a giant squid. That's not the monster. It's like, yeah, but we were calling it a monster literally, you know, fifty years ago. Uh, so the moment when something gets identified is not called the monster anymore. So you can't win that argument. Do right. monsters exist there now? Because they keep just giving them the proper name, which <laughs> right. is what science should be, you know. And then and then they say, well, there's no monsters. That was that was legit. It's like, well, it wasn't before. <laughs> so well, and and isn't that true about? like everything kind of magical and supernatural, yeah. you know, when, when we didn't know that, you know, germs existed, illness was oh, yeah. considered, you know, humors or, you know, curses or, or whatever. And Absolutely. so, yeah. It, it's just, it's just semantics at this point. And, and it's, that, that's why uh, from both sides, I'm not a huge fan of the, the science versus mysticism conversation, because to me, and that's, I guess why we called it side world, you know, that it's like, there's that one you know, one time, one element, one place where those things combine, and for a split second, they're both equally the same thing. And and um, when the when one transitions into the other, so there's split. You know, to me, they're part of the same two sides of the same coin, right? Well, and I think that particularly in that chapter of the film, um, when as you were kind of wrapping up each of the monster stories, um, it really did highlight for me who who is the monster because mm-hmm. you know the the people in the stories were sometimes pretty horrible yeah yeah uh, it's it's true i mean it's again it highlights like quite a few few things and especially the the sea as you said earlier it's uh, such a good example because it's for us is like we fall in love with it and and but then at the same time it's so alien and hazardous and dangerous that we kind of we have this violent abusive relationship with it um right right and and uh and it just shows that when when people don't know something especially 
thankfully more back in the day than now and hopefully we're trending in the right direction um you know knock wood um people tend to react in in, in a more jumpy uh, ignorant fashion to something that's weird and, and it's strange and uh, if we just had the moment to identify it or learn it or study it and you know no one is saying if you get attacked by a shark you know make sure you cuddle with it don't fight back obviously not but but um but at the same time when when you have the opportunity to understand and learn about something or or uh, um or you know address it with 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 grace rather than with with just immediate violence then um there's more hope for uh, all of us dealing with each other well i, I think too that um you know as we get uh, as our technology advances and, and we have access to places that we would have never had access to before, you know, the you, you're probably having people going to those new unexplored places like deeper and deeper in the ocean and things mm-hmm. like that. They're probably more educated people. Yeah. Because that's, you know, they got to a place where they could, you know, build the, you know, the, the stuff we need to get lower. And, and so, you know, they're, they're people that are, um, focused on discovering rather than, you know, something washes up on shore and, Absolutely. you know, the villagers show up and decide, you know, what, what kind of sign from God it is, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So hopefully, I don't know if we're, we're getting any less superstitious. Well, but... well, people are just getting, like you said, people are overall, people are getting more educated. So I think mm-hmm. that's what helps. Like that's the true. more we, the more we lower the ignorance in the world, I think, we will lower the evil in the world as well. I mean, a lot of us evil acts come from just pure mixture of stupidity and ignorance. And I think we're getting better at that as a whole. So uh, I think that's the reason why maybe, maybe to this day, if, uh, if uh, uh, something washes up, even on the shore of a small, you know, quite uh, remote village, I think, I think those people will have like a, like a better idea of uh, maybe how this should be approached. Yeah, and and certainly not to take the fun out of you know mysterious things and things. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know, because that's that's part of you know the the joy of watching something like this is hearing these stories and hearing you know how they're interpreted and even what they mean for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, can we talk a little bit about the score? Because I thought it was a really, you know, much as the, you know, cinematography, it was a really great balance between the music and the ocean sounds and, and different ship sounds. Um, how, how do you develop that? How do you make that work with the film? Well, um starts with a great composer. So I've, I've, been, I've been working with... Uh... Matthew Lemming. Now we worked together first on the droving, and um, and that worked really well. And and uh, we wanted to work more. And I just felt like when we went into the sidewalk projects that uh, he'll be brilliant for that. The way he incorporates um, real sounds of an environment and how he can you know put texture in the film. And even when I was looking for someone for the droving, at that point I was kind of gaining a little bit more confidence with being able to craft an atmosphere and i thought like maybe we can make that thicker maybe we can make that more tactile uh, with the picture with the sound with everything uh, with the music and he is someone who absolutely adds that 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 atmosphere that 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 feeling that texture within his music and um you know we had a great run on forest and i think he had even more fun on this one because 
um, he, I mean, he, he goes and records a lot of the score at, at actual shipwrecks. Oh, you know, wow. he did it all off the coast of like Ireland and there was a shipwreck in the background. He had his mics and he was playing through his like keyboard. And um, so, yeah, he's that, he's that kind of guy that he goes uh, really within the atmosphere of the piece and, and me being someone that's, um, tries to push that even more so from everyone involved, be it, trying to make this more than kind of surprise people. Then this is not your just your 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 daddy's documentary where you're gonna have some talking heads and blah blah blah. But but you're gonna get everything that you're there for in terms of knowledge and and and, and interest. But also you're gonna really get submerged. Now I'm the one with the puns. You're really gonna get submerged in the atmosphere. And yeah. feel it from 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 all sides, from the cinematography, from the music, from the storytelling, um, colors, imagery, artwork, all, all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I thought um, when when you're talking about the artwork, the imagery, I love the artwork. That must have taken a ton of research to sort of find really great images, um, and and obviously a lot of it is outside so you're getting you know the sounds of you know the the sea and the the visuals um there, there were a couple of interior scenes that had you know uh, uh, there was a i don't know cobwebby kind of um, yeah do you are, are those places that you find that like a pub that has that decor or do you set up sets for those parts so the the actual um, the most interior we have in the actual shipwright's arms, where the story about that particular ghost, the ghost of Jack Tar the sailor, mm-hmm. um, is. Okay. So it was important for us to go and shoot there okay. uh, to really give that give that vibe. Now, if 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 we were a, a, a normal um, ghost documentary, where just goes there and we we do the the. Um, you want to check for ghosts and nothing against them. I'm a big fan. I'm just saying that there is a lot of that and we're trying to be different. Right. You know, that's what the, you know, most haunted, whatever, or Zach Baggins, you know, they go there, they knock on the wall and it's like, ghost, can you hear me? I'm shouting at you, whatever. Um, That's great. And it's all about that sort of visceral, you know, kind of found footage. Is it going to happen? What are we going to hear uh, experience? Right. But obviously it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to what we're trying to do to be a bit more kind of storytelling and in, 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 in the in, in atmosphere. So when we go with those stories, sometimes we, we, we say, okay, that's a great story. We can go and shoot at the, exactly the place where it happened, but it doesn't look particularly great. And we have to really bend over backwards to make it look, to have the right vibe to, to make this into, into our kind of more atmospheric, more artistic visual approach. Um, but the shipwright's arms not only had the story of Jack Tar the sailor, but it really had this kind of remote vibe. And then inside, he had those, um, uh, you know, all the nautical themes were were uh, inside the, the little pub as well. So it felt like we need to go there and shoot it. Like we're not going to lose anything, and it's also going to be a the double whammy of being the place where all of that happens. Um, right. I'm actually so really... yeah, that was really helpful. Yeah, I'm really relieved to hear that because I would have been kind of disappointed if it had just been, you know, a set that you guys dressed up because it really did transport me. And I felt like, you know, I was back in the in the day where it happened because everything, yeah. you know, d- it didn't seem here and now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks. We, we try to like sometimes if we are staging some shots for um to, to just make things more more filmy you know uh-huh, to make yeah. them to make them uh, feel more cinematic um we try to do that either for kind of 
little transitional pieces in between stories or kind of just to help kind of like the, the, the stories round them up in a, in, a, in a great visual way. Or if there's no way of going to the place where the story took place or it's underwater or it's somewhere like really long ago, doesn't exist anymore. Some, you know, like a castle that you don't even have the ruins anymore. So we shoot at another one right. only in this case is, but, but yeah, to us is important to, to go and really feel the, the vibe of the place and sometimes can get challenging where you go there and you're like, well, it would have been better if we went somewhere else, but that's when, you know, uh, me and Richard and the whole camera team, that's when we are kind of try to earn our stripes to be like, how can we extract cinematic, um, good cinematic language out of something that maybe it does look a bit more trivial, but so far I think we've managed. Yeah. When you were talking earlier about, um, the possibility of filming, you know, in America, um, I live, a half a mile from Lake Michigan. And oh, awesome. you know, there's, there's a bunch of shipwrecks that are here. And, you know, we've got a lighthouse in my town. And, um, but you go there and, you know, there's, there's buildings there and there's oh, yeah. Northwestern University. And so I like, I'm trying to think of where you could go that it would even feel, you know, we'll be, we'll be fine. Like we, we've managed to squeeze so many of the shots you see on one side, there's like a hospital on the other side, there's mm -hmm. a bin, and then you know, like you're, you're, we're really squeezing in between a lot of angles <laughs> to kind of make it work. So that's that's part of the fun, really. And and uh, I, I like that challenge because anyone can just go and shoot like wide shot of pretty things. Um, but but we're trying to kind of like extract the the, the what what's a good angle. You know? Yeah, I never felt like I saw anything modern at all. Like I always felt like I was off on some you know windswept cliff. Um, oh, and, thanks. Yeah. yeah so well, uh, that that comes with sometimes with a lot of waiting because you're on one hill and then you film your shot and then someone's walking their dog and you're waiting for them to just come out exactly <laughs> in the because so, yeah we, we don't have the manpower yet to block off the, you know uh, the whole beach. So for one shot, so we we just have to kind of sometimes I presume like nature documentaries like you're just waiting for the lizard to come towards the camera and you're just <laughs> yeah. kind of standing there, uh, and now we're just waiting for the person to get out of the camera. So you know it's the mm -hmm. similar similar mentality I think. Interesting, and of course then you have to do it at the right time of day for your lighting, oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. so that's got to be nerve wracking. Everything everything was always on purpose. It's supposed to look that great. It never <laughs> happened completely by chance, and we were incredibly lucky. No, we're just that good. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you a terrible question now. Um, Please. Out of all of the stories in the film, do you have a personal favorite? Uh, um, a much milder version of Sophie's Choice. All right. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'll probably kind of give a couple because because they 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 have a different. There are different parts of me that I can say, you know. Um, so you're saying you can't uh, pick your favorite child? I can't. I, I, maybe I will in the process of answering this. Maybe. Okay. Um, but um, from a, from a purely um, sort of my my paranormal x filesy side you know being a fan of that kind of stuff from since a kid i would say that the one with um the submarine i really like because okay. we 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 haven't done that much um world war one world war two period stuff um until then and, and that seemed like it had like a lot of pretty great proof and and uh um kind of the film changes a bit and it goes into that style it sends you back into that period um going into 
the accounts that the Germans said to to the British when they got captured about what happened to their submarine and how they're attacked by a monster like that seemed like a breath of fresh air from some of the more usual uh, period in more medieval stuff. So I, I quite like that, and and I think it's a pretty legit. Uh, story if if the if the event actually happened the way that they're describing it yeah, which yes. seems like it did um i uh, you know the, what they said about what happened is it's hard to argue with um so but but from from a point of view of then kind of more just as me being the one who directed the film and we did, we did everything in terms of to have a um one sort of continuous theme going throughout um there is a reason why we put the wild man of warford merman story right at the end because it really seemed like a good example of that duality between men and sea that we were trying to describe throughout the film and just as a as a as a as a character and as an image he he felt like he was um the bridge between those two worlds uh and again he had that that that's theme about who was the real monster how people treated him and even that was not very clear because they they fed him and they took care of him they let him run but then they tortured him as well because that just seems like it's the medieval thing to do the medieval (laughs) welcome so it just seemed like he had everything to it and i think and we had um we have the artwork that that we research for that obviously makes a lot of the, the the book of the documentary but just like we did with haunted forest on this one also we commissioned some original artwork as well, um, which was um, so that drawing of the of of the of the wild man of Orford, the the merman, kind of holding to that net underwater. I, I love that one, and um, it just really. I think everything kind of comes together thematically in that story. I, you know, I, I did notice that the, that image of the wild man behind the net was very similar to an image from the pub. Where the yeah. man was, yeah. I, that, that's the that's the other piece of artwork. So, yep, yep. so that that's all uh, done by a gentleman who happens to be my father, but also happens to be a, a great artist. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't inherit any of that, so I can't draw. Um, but he can, which is good. And uh, I have the incredible luck of having someone um, so talented, so convenient uh, that we can have that shorthand of in terms of what wins. So yeah, we had four pieces of original artwork for haunted forests. And then uh, we had two more for uh, Terrors of the Sea, and we're going to have that being as much as we can as a recurring element in Sideworld films. And then and, and, uh, uh, we'll, we're planning to open those to, the, to people to be able to own some of them as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I loved the, the those two pieces, particularly because of the juxtaposition of, you know, it sort of looked like a jail kind of cell yeah. or a yeah, trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. one was someone being kept out and one was someone being, you know, captured and, yeah, and pulled yeah, in. Absolutely. And so those, and it was, you know, as soon as I saw the second one, I was like, Oh wow, that's amazing that you, you have that. Um, and so I, I loved that very much. Yeah. Yeah. No, great. Thank you. And, and uh, he was, he was very proud of him as one. Well, he really enjoys doing them. So yeah, we're well, now they, working on the ones for the next film. So yeah. definitely tell him they were striking because uh, I, will, has, I, I, I will. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, can you let us know where people can access your films, both Sideworld and other your other projects? Yeah, so um, Sideworld, um, Haunted Forests, and Terrors of the Sea should now be available. I mean, they're, they're both been available for on, on Amazon Prime for, for a while. Mm-hmm. 
I believe is rent and buy there, but um, in in the U.S. there's more choices. Okay. For 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 your audience, which is um, also on Tubi, so whoever has Tubi, they can uh, they can watch it there, and um, and a bunch more uh, uh, platforms yep. that I'm not hundred percent sure of. It will it will give you the option when you Google it. So so you can you okay. can just I'm sure there'll be something that people can pick the most convenient one right. for them. Roku channel as well, I think. So you know, but uh, yeah, Amazon, um, rent and buy on other places, YouTube, and so on and so forth, um, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's and that's where probably a lot of Saddleworld will uh, keep being. If you want to watch um, our narrative films, our first film Hex, um, and then The Droving, which are kind of folk horror, um, one is period, one is modern day. Uh, they're both um, they're both available on the same places, and I think now they're even free to watch on on YouTube on on one of them their uh, film okay. film uh, channel networks. Yeah, I've got so. I've actually got Hex pulled up on my Amazon. Uh but if I can watch it on YouTube, I'm gonna go do that because there are commercials in that one. On that oh Amazon. yeah. Oh the, the the Amazon one. Uh yeah, I guess it's uh, I guess it's on um their new thing, Freevee. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. one that has like the commercials in it. But uh, yeah, yeah, you can pick the one with yeah, the commercials. Yeah, I can't imagine that's I can't imagine the commercials are gonna help the narrative any. So No, 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 no. Um <laughs> They they maybe they maybe pay our distributor more. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Watch it the way it should be watched, uh, and exactly. it will be fine. Exactly. Um, and then, will when when you start to sell the original artwork, um, is that going to be on um, your website? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. That's something that we're working on at the moment. As soon as we finish our next side world, uh, um, which we're uh, really um, getting ready to have done for Halloween. So the idea is that by by Halloween we're, we'll have yes. Sadwell as a sort of like as a as a our um, folk horror documentary little franchise and series, and and will be a, a full set of three. And we're going to be uh, marketing and talking about that one. And at the same time, we'll start opening our Sadwell store, which hopefully will have like people uh, stuff that they're just um, in in those areas they'll be interested in because. I, I sometimes want to buy, buy like a little folklore mug that has like a cool creature on it, but I, I rarely I can get to find stuff like that. But um, we'll have some we'll have some merch stuff and things like that. But at the same time, I, I'm just excited to have some original, quite artistic things that people will enjoy as as uh, uh, something that adds to the series and that can make people happy and make feel like it's a bit of a safe space for all of us fans for all that kind of stuff and bring everybody together history horror fairy tales folklore those things are so connected that i think um i think people will enjoy if if it's kind of all under one one hub and that includes also our um artwork so i'm sure we'll have many prints that everybody can own It, it shouldn't be just like oh whoever has the money to buy the original only they have to have it like we'll make something quite accessible to everyone Right. On top of that, if you maybe if you want to own, own the original, maybe we can talk about that. But uh, <laughs> we'll be, I'm sure, um, we'll make we'll try to make it as as uh, inclusive as possible. Great. Um, so before we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else that you want to share with your audience or your potential audience? Well, uh, I mean, to our audience up until now, for the for the two films that have come out and and. Uh, also counting hex and the drawing if you're a long time rubicon fan if you exist i mean i know that there is a there is a few that do exist thank you very much and and uh, i hope we're not disappointing with what, what we're making and everybody up until now with those two films um 
no, thank you very much for 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 buying into what we're trying to do, and and uh, I think in the beginning that specific way of making a documentary and and going for something that has a bit more of a kind of an artistic touch to it, but at the same time it's still very approachable and accessible for a newcomer into the audience. Uh, that, that's that's very important to us. Thank you. We're receiving messages from all around the world, and and just you know sometimes it's someone. We had a guy from Texas saying, I don't know. I think he was talking about forests. And it's like, I don't know where this woods is. And I've never heard of it before, but I've seen this documentary five times now when I want to go and visit the UK. So to me, that was very important. I mean, I'm not I'm not born in the UK. I'm born in Bulgaria. To me, it was important that those films, as local as they are, they introduce these stories to the whole world. And that's why it's important to me that at some point we'll get to that level where we get to go around the whole world and in and, and the... And, and help the folklore stories from any any country, yep. uh, and especially the ones who are probably even more underserved than the than the UK is. And, right. and uh, right. there there's a lot of stories to be told. And if, um, like I say, if you enjoy our stuff and and uh, want to support us, just yeah, keep keep uh, telling us to keep uh, keep getting up in the morning and make more. And uh, <laughs> uh, we will try to add to this little legacy and hopefully uncover more of that stuff because um i don't see too many people that that really are doing it in the way that they 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 try to spread that and i think um i think together we can we can do it well i think that i will be your first vote for keep getting up in the morning and doing it because thank uh, you very much both of them really enjoyable and i'm really looking forward to seeing hex um so uh Again, thanks. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for, um, you know, having a conversation about it. I, I think that um, this is, like you said, something that is not typically being done. So it's it's a, a great ad- adventure. It, it has been for me. Well, thank you very much, Tracy. That's that's really helpful. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going at it. And, and then, like I said, soon we'll be announcing what the, the third one, the third side world will be, what the theme will be. Okay. And we'll have it ready for for Halloween, and we're going to have like a big sidewalk Halloween push. And um, if you want to help us in any way, uh, don't worry about anything else, but but just spreading the word, telling your fr- friends. If if there is anyone who know who are fans of any of any of those things, you know, horror stories, history, folklore, that's what's going to help us and and keep keep getting bigger and making more of these and making them more ambitious, going to more ambitious places. So. Uh, we appreciate that uh, in this day and age, in, in, you know, the information and letting people know is everything. But if you're right. the kind of person that complains that it's like, oh, everything I watch these days, they don't have this thing for me, this thing for me, this thing for me doesn't exist. And if what we're making is for you, that will that will help us continue. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. My thanks to George for coming back onto the podcast and to Tracy for conducting the interview. If you're listening to this episode around about the time that it comes out, then this is the close of Season 7 of the Folklore Podcast. Thanks for joining us, both on this episode and on any others that you may have listened to, and especially those of you that have been with us since Season 1 back in 2016. It's great to have you still here. If you celebrate it, have a happy and peaceful Christmas and New Year, And I'll look forward to joining you again in January for the start of Season 8 of the Folklore Podcast. See you next year.